0: to another episode of Break the Cycle. Me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone's having a wonderful Thursday. It's almost the weekend, guys. We're almost there. You're going to make it. I have faith in you. I believe in you. Uh, Let's start off with some sponsors. Of course, we have TopLobsta.com for all your wonderful graphic design needs where you can get this great uh, custom embroidered uh, BTC logo shirt that I'm wearing tonight or the custom BTC logo pillow that I have on the couch tonight. Of course, many other things that you can get there. Wonderful stuff. Using... BTC at checkout for a 10% discount or you can uh, join the Patreon subscribe star or become a member of the YouTube channel here uh, for, I think, six bucks a month. Get yourself into a private Discord server where Top Lopsa drops all of his new designs up to two weeks early uh, before they go out to the... to the uh, general public And you get like a 30% discount So like if you're doing a 5 bucks a month or 6 bucks a month thing you're, uh, you're really You know if you're buying Top Lobster gear You're getting, you're getting your monies back um, And of course executive producers of the show Anthemplanning.com For all your emergency and crisis planning needs Check these people out today See what they can do for your business, home Or personal life They're doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at Much cheaper and much more efficiently guys we got an awesome show for you tonight uh i know a lot of my my followers and subscribers and 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 fans on twitter uh, are really into school choice we certainly are here in my home Uh, I've got a couple kids that go to some private schools, a couple kids that that homeschooled for a while. Um, And so it's a really big issue. It's very near and dear to our heart. Uh, So my guest tonight is pretty awesome. He's the National Director of Research uh, for School Choice Now, adjunct scholar at Cato Institute, senior fellow at Reason Foundation, and executive director of the Educational Freedom Institute. He is Mr. Corey DeAngelis. How are you doing today, sir?
1: Hey, doing pretty well. I was telling you a little bit earlier, but uh, I got my AC repaired today, and uh, I was pretty concerned about that last night when I found out about 30 in the morning, but uh, we're good. We're rocking and rolling. That was my excitement for the day.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. It's funny. I, I work 12-hour shifts at, uh, at a big multi-purpose building. We have a data center there, and uh, our AC went out yesterday morning. And so I spent a 12-hour shift in my building with no AC, and it was, it was horrendous, absolutely terrible. So I, I know how you feel, man. Uh, so what, what do we, I'd like to start off on my show with a, a little bit about your journey, how you got to where you are. Obviously, very Liberty-based, um, hyper-focused on school choice. Uh, how did you get there? I mean, what was it that, that sent you in that direction?
1: Well, uh, the government school system is one of the most socialized uh, entities in our society. Today. The government runs the schools. The government funds the schools. They compel you to attend schools. Um, and so as a libertarian, uh, where you want to start, especially when you have 13 years of government indoctrination, that leads to lots of other problems in society as well, because people who are educated or indoctrinated in the system tend to Support socialist policies after they get out of it. But the um, less interesting story is that I actually attended something called a magnet school in San Antonio, Texas, for high school. Magnet schools are still government-run schools, but you're not residentially assigned to them, so you it reduces the amount of monopoly power when you can actually select yourself into one of these types of schools. This school was on the same campus as my residentially assigned school. So for four years during high school, I was able to see the difference night and day between my residentially assigned government school and the magnet school that I chose to attend. And I feel like that had a positive impact on my life trajectory, just having better experiences for those four years. Uh, and then after that, I did my bachelor's and master's at the University of Texas San- at San Antonio uh, in economics. So that really just opened my mind to the uh, reality that the main problem with k-12 education in america is the massive power imbalance between the teachers unions and the uh, individual families and a lot of that's co- caused by compulsory property tax funding and geographic monopolies that are created through residential assignment uh, and then my advisor there was also affiliated with the friedman foundation which is now called ed choice which is a school choice advocacy group He recommended a couple of times that I go and do my PhD at the University of Arkansas in something called the the Department of Education Reform that had a couple of big uh, uh, school choice researchers, Patrick Wolf, Jay Green, and Robert Maranto. And that's where I really started doing the heavy hitting research on school choice programs.
0: Nice. Absolutely. And uh, you you live in Washington, D.C. now, so you're really like in the belly of the beast, man.
1: Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, it's been horrible this this past year. I've lived here for about four years. I grew up in Texas. It was great in Texas. Arkansas was fun for the couple of years that I was there. Um, but yeah, just this past year, I started looking at Zillow all the time, trying to look at property in Florida and Texas, because those were the more the more free states than Washington, D.C. And then our, our mayor just uh, reinstated the mask mandate. So I just got back from the gym a little bit before this. And we're in there. In, trying to suck oxygen with a mask on our faces. Everybody knows it's BS, but we do it anyway because uh, the owners of the gym know that they'll get in trouble and they'll get a fine if they're caught for for um, not abiding by the mask mandate, even though Mayor Bowser herself was caught 20, less than 24 hours after her mask mandate went into effect, officiating a wedding at the line Hotel, which is maybe like a mile away from my place, uh, with no masks, everybody was in there with no mask indoors. And it's because I think the, our rulers know that it's a bunch of BS, too. But everybody kind of plays along because of this collective action problem where no one wants to stick their neck out. So nobody does anything, even though we all know it's nonsense. Sure. So that that that's kind of a side conversation. But, Josh, I really wanted to I wanted to define school choice really quickly sure. for the listeners, because it's not all that um, obvious for a lot of people. And I, I, I kind of changed how we talk about this conversation a little bit from school choice, which isn't very transparent and uh, might have a lot of baggage with it to the idea of funding students directly or funding students instead of systems. I think it's beneficial to talk about it in that way because it really provides some clarity. Uh, it's the idea that the education dollars allocated for a certain child should follow them to wherever they're getting an education. That could be the government run school if that works best for them. Uh, For a lot of people, that's not the option that they would choose if they had a true choice. Um, But it could also follow them to a private school or a homeschool setting. Could even be something like a pandemic pod or micro school uh, that a lot of parents engaged with over this past year or a homeschool co-op. Any approved education expenditure, it would fall under this umbrella of funding students as opposed to systems. Another reason why I like to talk about it in this way is because it puts the other side on defense, All of a sudden, when you say we should fund students, not systems, if you want to argue with that, all of a sudden the burden of proof becomes on you, which happens to be in most cases the teachers unions, to try to come up with a reason why we should fund the buildings instead of giving the money to the families directly instead. And it really puts them in a weird weird predicament when you start to think about how People in the teachers' unions and people who are in state legislatures voting against initiatives that fund people directly when it comes to K-12 education, they, they, they support funding individuals directly when it comes to so many other, just about any other taxpayer-funded initiative for any other level of education or any other industry. Just think about it. With higher education, we have Pell Grants and the GI Bill, where the money goes to the student, taxpayer funds. And they can choose to take it to the public community college if they want, but they could also take it to a private religious or non-religious university of their choosing. We do the same thing with the Head Start program at the federal level or other state funded pre-K programs where the money doesn't go to a residentially assigned government run provider of pre-K services. Instead, the money goes to the family and they can pick public, private, religious or non-religious providers of pre-K services. We do the same thing with food stamps. The money goes to the family. It doesn't go to a government-run grocery store. We do the same thing with Medicaid dollars. You can take the Medicaid dollars to a private religious hospital if you want. You can do You can extend the same logic for just about everything else that the uh, people who oppose school choice um, are okay with. But only when it comes to those in-between years of K-12 education do they get all up in arms when there's any initiative to fund people as opposed to buildings, and the only way to ever bridge that apparent logical inconsistency is to realize that the only difference there is one of power dynamics. That choice is the norm with higher education, pre-K, and just about any other industry, but choice threatens an entrenched special interest, the teachers' unions, that profit from getting children's education dollars regardless of whether, how well they do, and regardless of, as we've seen over the past year, of whether they even open their doors for business. So they fight really hard against any change to the status quo.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, whether they even get out of their pajamas throughout the day, they still get funded.
1: <laughs> well, and, and that's been clear more than ever over the past year and a half, right? I mean, the private schools were fighting to reopen from the get-go because they knew that their customers could take their money elsewhere if they weren't providing adequate services. Mm-hmm. But then the government school teachers union monopoly fought to keep closed as long as possible. Whenever there was a decision of a governor to close the, close the schools in a state, private school groups would file legal cases to, for the right to, to reopen and provide their customers with goods and services. The public school teachers unions celebrated the decision everywhere. I remember one example in California, for example, there was in Sacramento. There was an arbitrary closure rule that applied to schools. If you were learning, it was dangerous, but it didn't apply to daycares. If you were a daycare, it was fine. So one private Catholic school in Sacramento actually rebranded itself as a daycare. They retrained all their employees, their teachers, and started to call them daycare workers or childcare providers, and... The health official was upset about that. But it just goes to show you that the private schools were innovative to try to get around these regulations and to to do whatever they could to provide that service. And I think the main difference there isn't one of uh, motivations. I think there are some bad apples in, in, in any sector. But I think the main difference is one of incentives, that one of these sectors gets your money regardless of whether they open their doors for business. So, of course, the public school monopoly that gets paid regardless is going to try to stay home and work in their PJs, knowing damn well that they're not going to lose their job security or pay. And in fact, it's actually worse than that. It's not just that they didn't see a cost to keeping schools closed. They saw a benefit in keeping schools closed. They knew they could leverage the school closures by holding children's educations hostage as long as possible in order to secure additional ransom payments, billions and billions of dollars in ransom payments from the federal government, in order to reopen. So they could use that state of disorder as an argument for why they needed more resources. They actually profit from doing the wrong thing. The incentives are completely backwards when it comes to the government school system. That's the problem. And people are figuring that out finally. They're saying, well, look if my grocery store didn't open uh, with all this mess over the past year. It kind of sucked, but it wasn't horrible because I could take my money to Trader Joe's if Walmart was closed. But if my school was closed, my public school, I had to go scramble and dig in my pockets to pay for a private school uh, for tuition and fees out of pocket, which essentially is a form of paying twice. And the closed institution got to keep their children's education dollars. That didn't click that much that well for, for families. And so I think they're starting to realize finally that there isn't any good reason to fund failing closed institutions when you can fund the student directly instead.
0: Sure. And, And it was funny. So when the, you know, the the brief time that they had the schools completely closed in Iowa the the public schools uh, look, I was in the military, right? <clears throat> and, uh, the first time I ever realized how inefficient the government was, I was talking to a, a yeoman, some, you know, guy down in the, in the, uh, admin side of things. And he, I asked him if I could borrow a pin. He's like, do you know how much we pay for these pins? You know, you know how much the, 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 the government pays for these pins about $5 per pin. I'm like, it's a, it's a ink pen, like a big ink pen, $5. And then I started realizing that, you know, governments overpay for these contracts and really help these businesses out. And, um, when it comes to budgets for, for the government, uh, if they don't spend all their budget, the next year they won't get all their budget. And so uh, when, we, when all the schools were closed here in Iowa for that brief time, everyone in the community could go down to the school uh, you know, during lunchtime and pick up these giant bags of food. I mean, it was more food than any of us needed, right? I mean, even even us with seven kids, it was like you know, a whole garden worth of vegetables and all this stuff. And I realized it's, oh, they're doing this to keep their budget.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the incentives are completely backwards and it's part of the reason is because they're spending someone else's money. It's not government money. It's not public money. It's taxpayer money. All money is private until it's taken from you forcibly by the government. Um, and I, but what's what's so great about this past year is the way that I would put it is that COVID didn't break the government school system. It was already broken True. and that the past year and a half simply. Um, shine a spotlight on that main problem with K-12 education, which is that massive power imbalance that's been around forever between the monopoly and individual families. And it started to become clear with all of the hypocrisy and just all of the, uh, the, 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 the drunkenness of power that was shown by the teachers' unions overplaying their hand over and over again. It's like they never learned from their mistakes. You had the Los Angeles teachers' union's in their report on safely reopening schools, calling to defund the police, which that's another conversation we could talk about, what what how how we could reform the police system, but they were calling for that, you know, um, Medicare for all, a wealth tax. They were calling for a ban on their competition, charter schools, sure. in order to safely reopen schools. So they started to include all these political demands into the school reopening debate, which really showed people their true colors. I mean, you also had at least a dozen. Uh, teachers unions on at least two occasions hold something they called National Days of Resistance since March of 20, since uh, early 2020. It's happened at least twice where they band together with the Democratic Socialists of America and other socialist groups. And they called again to demand safe schools. But instead of just calling for more money and more people, to put in the buildings and more jobs. They started calling again for police-free schools, banning standardized tests. I don't even like standardized tests. I don't think they're all that valuable. I think um, uh, there's a lot of issues with standardized testing, but you could see that they were putting all these other, th- they even called for canceling rent and foreclosures. Um, and then I believe they also called to ban charter schools and their private school uh, competition as well, private school choice programs.
0: Yeah, it's almost, it's almost like this uh, entire pandemic uh, has had all kinds of pork shoved into it and everywhere they could fit it, you know, when it comes to the, especially when it came to these these bailouts, I mean, for, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to save you guys, we know you haven't been working, we're going to give you some money, but then we're going to, when you're not looking, we're going to give the, the the vast majority of this money to other places that aren't you guys, and so it's like, it's the same thing, really.
1: Well, and it was happened at the federal level. I mean, Congress already allocated, and they're going to keep giving more, but they've already allocated one hundred and ninety billion dollars, which is about two or like I think three thousand dollars per student in publics in the public school system. Should have just given that given that uh, money to the to the parents. If you're going to spend it at all, they end up giving it to the closed school buildings. And a senator in the sen uh, a member of the Senate, I believe, is a Republican from Missouri, introduced an amendment to the American Rescue Plan for the 123 billion dollars that were going to the K, was going to the K to 12 education system. He just had a pretty sensible amendment, which was, you know, hey, this whole argument for this one hundred and twenty three billion dollars is about safety and about safely reopening schools for in-person instruction. You're saying you need the money to do that. So let's make it have an amendment to say that the funding is contingent upon actually reopening the schools for in-person instruction. It failed on a partisan 50 50 vote. Every Democrat voted against it. Every Republican voted in favor. But that doesn't that doesn't get you get you passage you can't you have to have fit, you know, the 51 votes in order to get it done in the senate so none of that funding was actually contingent upon reopening the schools the states did it too i mean california governor newsom had uh, some some carrots in the form of billions of dollars to as an incentive to reopen the schools and at first that that sounds kind of Okay, well, at least he's making it based on reopening the schools. But what some districts did, like in San Francisco, their teachers' unions out there figured out that they can just check a box and get the money without actually providing the service. And the way they did that was they opened. They figured out that the bare minimum they had to do was open the schools for uh, for one grade level for one day. So what they did was they opened it for seniors for one day. Didn't they didn't teach them anything, and then they got millions of dollars for doing so, which goes to show you the problem with top-down mechanisms of accountability. They aren't the same thing as bottom-up mechanisms of accountability, which is giving the money to the families, let them vote with their feet so that the institutions actually have real incentives to cater to their needs. That's not what happened in California and San Francisco
0: sure absolutely so so i mean is there any nefarious reasons why the why the teachers unions especially fought to keep these schools closed i mean do you think it was just the incentives i mean was there some nefarious stuff going on there as well
1: i think it's incentives mostly i don't like to question motives much i mean uh, it's it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to guess what their their motives were but Uh, Look, you get the same benefits in terms of job security and pay, and you don't have a commute time, and you minimize any risk whatsoever of interacting with other people, even though that risk was infinitesimally low with school children. They They had some of the safest customers in the public school system, young children, but they were like some of the last places to open which is another thing that just goes to show you that this was more about politics and power dynamics than safety and the needs of families. The grocery store workers were able to do it. The private schools were able to do it. Just about any other private business was fighting against governments to reopen. The public sector teachers unions were fighting for the opposite. That just so clearly shows the difference here. But I like to to bring up Chicago teachers Union stepped in it over and over again. I don't know if you remember the Chicago Teachers Union board member that was caught vacationing in Puerto Rico yep. while on social media railing against uh, going back to work in person, which raises the question, if it's safe enough to go to a vacation in Puerto Rico in person, well, why wasn't it safe enough to return to work in person? Mm-hmm. For any person with half a brain cell, the answer to that is pretty obvious, right? It's, well, it's, it's it's more enjoyable to go Vacation in Puerto Rico in person than it is to to work in person. So any rational person is, I, I think, is going. Not any, but um, I think most rational people would look at the situation and say, "Hey, I'm just, I'm just reacting to, to to what's in front of me. I blame the system. It's the messed up set of incentives that are baked into the public system, school system that caused all these problems. If we always had school choice, if we had the money following the child already, we wouldn't have seen half of these problems." Uh, over the past year and a half, but this is fueling the the movement for educational freedom in your state. Tax credit scholarships expanded this year, and in 16 other states, there have been expansions of funding students as opposed to systems. Uh, and, and and we're calling it the year of school choice in the in the advocacy world. There were some huge wins. It was not just the number of states, but there were some huge wins at the state level as well. For for example, West Virginia and New Hampshire. They pass something called education savings accounts. This is the purest form of funding students as opposed to systems there is. It's kind of like the voucher idea where you can take the money that would have went to your government school to a private school for tuition and fees. Same idea. A portion of that funding follows the child, but it's not limited to be used as a voucher for private school tuition and fees. It goes into a education savings account for the child. You could use it for private school tuition and fees, but you could also use it for homeschooling expenses, tutoring Uh, pandemic pods, micro schools, any approved
0: education expenditure. That just seems like so many steps to give you your money back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just don't take my money from me in the first place, but look, this look, uh, you know, abolishing property. I get this from libertarians a lot, you know, like, Hey, why don't we just abolish the property tax or just abolish taxes all altogether. I'm with you. You know, I'm I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I'm with you. But I'm going to take the incremental win, right? I think the incremental win that's politically feasible right now, and we've seen it over this past year, is at least if you're going to take the money from me, give it to people instead of government right. buildings so that the people can find the best services uh, that, uh, that work best for them. I mean, the, the analogy I like to use with some libertarians that really come after me with this is, Um, And it's just kind of irritating for them to oppose a step in the right direction uh, and and then end up, you know, if you make perfect the enemy of the good, you're you're stuck with bad. Um, But like the, the analogy that I use, I like to use the food stamp analogy all the time just because it makes so much sense for people. Just imagine if we had a world where everybody had food stamps funded by the taxpayer and everybody had to use those food stamps at a residentially assigned government run grocery store. That would suck. But imagine another world where same situation, the funding amount is the same. Everybody has, has these taxpayer-funded food stamps. But at least now you can use it as a, as a private provider of grocery services. I think both of those worlds are non-optimal. I would rather not have the food stamps at all or have it just for the least advantage, not for everybody. But it's it's obviously – a better scenario if the families have a choice in the matter instead of that money going straight to a government run building.
0: True. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's pretty cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that you were an anarcho capitalist. I'd like to hear that, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to hear there's still some of those at reason.
1: <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I can't, I can't speak for the other other people at the organizations that I'm affiliated with. I actually didn't, didn't really get into it much with, with people when I was working True. at other think tanks but um, if for the listeners, if, if you do have a big libertarian audience, something else that I've proposed is something called police choice. If you want to look into that, it's, it's published at a journal called Libertarian Papers. I wrote it in twenty eighteen. But it applies the same concept of school choice where you have a voucher where you can take it to a private school uh, that works best for you or a public school that works best for you. Same concept, apply it to policing. If your government run, residentially assigned, essentially in your jurisdiction, police department is abusing your rights or if they're not even coming. If they're not uh, coming to your to your house when you call them and someone steals your car or if they take five hours to get there and they don't actually do anything, you can take your police voucher to another provider that either doesn't abuse your rights or provides services in an adequate manner. So that's another kind of idea that I've dabbled in. But but as you pointed out in the beginning of this podcast, I pretty much stick to school choice because um, one that's much more fle- politically feasible to happen right now. And the more that libertarians kind of stick to one focus area and work really hard at getting that thing done, the more likely that that thing's going to get done. If you start, I think if you start touching every every single um Policy, it's really hard to build a coalition towards the the policy that you really want to get done.
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I agree with you there. I think, uh, we need more specialists who are hyper-focused on certain policies. Um, you know, we have, we have some great people in the whole movement like Michael Bolden, but he works on all kinds of different legislation, obviously, you know, the Mm -hmm. 10th amendment center. Um, but, but it is nice to have people who are hyper-focused and I do agree, you know, that incrementalism is better than no, no push forward whatsoever. Um, as an anarcho-capitalist myself as well, you know, I'm obviously a Murray Rothbard guy and, but but I, I liked Ron Paul, you know, Ron Paul's who really brought me to the movement, and uh, you know, he wasn't, he, he, as, as, as staunch as he was in his principles, he, he, he would appreciate some inc- incrementalism like that as well. But let's talk about the Department of Education a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so uh, when I went on and I, I looked um, a bit at uh, the numbers for, since their inception, uh, the spending has, uh, what, uh, times sixth at this point? Uh, and the test scores have yep. stayed pretty much the same or lower in most places, right?
1: It's about quad. it's about doubled or tripled the, the spending on a inflation adjusted basis since the inception of the department of education and the test scores are about the same.
0: Right, right. So or it I, may be
1: lower in some cases.
0: So, I mean, you know, you've probably studied the history on, on schools a lot more than I have. I, I'm sure, I'm sure of it. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, what was it like before the Department of Education took over? Because it's you know, I don't think a lot of people understand that they're not they're not like something that the entity that's been around forever. They they're still relatively newish. Yeah, they sh- they, they should have never
1: been born. I mean, the word ed- the word education is not in the Constitution, so I'm not sure why we have one. A lot of people have joked like, oh, you know, if a libertarian uh, wins the presidency. Corey, will you be the the secretary of education? I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. But then I'll uh, fire myself on the the first day on the job. Um, But uh, but, yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, the spending trends since, let's say, 1960, if you look at the federal data on this, there's been a 287 percent increase in inflation adjusted per pupil education expenditures in the government school system in the U.S., and we spend about $16,000 per student per year, according to the 2019 Census Bureau data. Uh, Census Bureau numbers is probably a lot more now because of these. I mean, what did I say earlier? It's about $3,000 additional uh, federal sure. stimulus funding from the $190 billion. So I'm guessing what that's going to be like $19,000 per student. Private school tuition on average is only about 12000 or less per student. It's about eleven or twelve thousand dollars per student, according to Private School Review in twenty twenty one. So, if you, I mean, just imagine if you gave that money to the families, they'd be able to afford a lot of different private schools, and especially if you start thinking about things like micro schools, where you don't even have to build a, a, a brick and mortar school. Hi, kids.
0: down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over
1: i mean you can just do it in someone's house you can have five to ten children getting together in a household and if families were able to take what fifteen sixteen thousand dollars per student they'd be able to afford a lot of alternatives
0: sure sure well and that's that's one of the cool things about living in iowa is we have It's so easy to homeschool here. Like we talked a little bit about this before the, uh, before we started the episode, but you can literally just say, hey, we're going to homeschool, catch, catch you later. And the government has no (laughs) say in it whatsoever. Of course, we still have to pay for the public schools, even if we have our kid at home and are, you know, paying for all the lunches and all that stuff. But they do have these little uh, homeschool communities here where, you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of the, the parents in the neighborhood will bring all the kids over to one house for, for school. And, the, you know, the one mom is really smart in this. You know, it, it is essentially a, a pretty cool thing, and the kids are really smart.
1: Yeah, I think Iowa public schools spend, what, 14000 and some change, I believe. And then the private school tuition in Iowa is half that. I think it's five or $6,000 on average. Uh, so, again, I mean, it just shows, goes to show you that the market can produce – a a product at a lower cost, someone might respond and say, aha, but Corey, you think you're so smart. The tuition at private schools does not not cover the full cost of educating a student, to which I would respond that, well, the only policy relevant number is the amount of money that would follow the child from what we're already spending in the government school system. If we're spending $13,000, $14,000 in public schools in Iowa, that's the policy relevant number because that's the amount of money that would follow the child to a private school that doesn't matter how much the private school education actually costs what matters is what would a, a family be able to afford True. if they had a voucher to go somewhere else
0: yeah absolutely uh we got we have a we have a couple of super chats here level 0 thanks man uh he said is there a US state whose K through 12 system isn't dominated by their teachers union or at least where <laughs> the union isn't terrible
1: yeah, I mean, what's what's interesting is I was one of the first people who did a study. It's now peer reviewed. I think it's the only, only one. It's the first one that was peer reviewed on the topic. That we, we just looked at public school districts and how strong their teachers unions were, and and whether they opened for in person instruction. And actually, a, actually found out, surprise, surprise, that the public school districts with stronger teachers unions were less likely to reopen their doors for in person instruction over the past year, which. Wasn't very surprising, but uh, you know, your theory needs data, needs data to back it up. And then we've, we've also started looking at data this year, also finding that going into this fall, the places with the stronger teachers unions more likely to ma- ma- mandate that all kids in the public school system have masks. Um, and as far as states that are, that are great when it comes to educational freedom, I've always pointed to Florida and Arizona. Florida this year is one of the 17 states that expanded their already um, free education system where uh, I think they're calling it the largest expansion of private school choice in Florida history that just passed into law this year. So that's that's big. And one of the biggest parts of that is they had income caps on a couple of their programs and they put in something called an automatic escalator That increases that income threshold each year by a significant amount to where into the future it'll be non-income based. It'll be a universal program. Everybody can take their children's education dollars elsewhere. And one other note on Florida that just happened last week, the Board of Education just unanimously approved allowing all families, regardless of income, to be able to take their kids' education dollars to a private school if they disagree with their government school's masking policies. And that can go both ways if you don't like that your school is mandating masks or if you don't like that your school is not mandating masks. And look, I mean, all of these fights that we've seen over the past year and a half with masking and the curriculum and critical race theory stuff and the reopening debate, whether you should do in-person or uh, remote learning. It's, these are all symptoms of the real problem, which is the one size fits all government school system. The only way that we're ever going to get out of this and, and, and ever be able to move forward without forcing other people's children into institutions that are not aligned with their values or their needs is to fund the student directly and to allow people to sort into the institutions that align with their values and that meet their children's needs the best and academically, socially, and, and, and any, any other need that the, the child might might have. Uh, that's, that's the only way out of this. And I think it's great that Florida did this. I think the uh, it shouldn't have been contingent upon whether the school was masking or not or whatever that decision is. But, I mean, the, the parents could always say they disagree with it either way. They're all eligible one way or the other. Oh, I, well, if my school is masking, I don't agree with that. If my school is not masking, I don't agree with that. I mean, they could make that argument and say that they want to go to another institution. And that's through the HOPE Scholarship Program, an already existing program in Florida. So that's great. I mean, I'm just really excited about that movement in Florida. This year in particular, though, West Virginia – I just mentioned this earlier. They now have the most expansive education savings account program in the nation. They went from zero to a hundred real quick. They had no charter schools last year on the ground. They didn't have any private school choice programs and then this year ninety three percent of the school aged population will be eligible for an education savings account program where they can take their money to public private charter. Uh, homeschooling option, any approved education expenditure. So they went from having essentially no school choice to having it for just about everybody. And in a few years, they're going to bust that 93% cap and to make it all the way to 100% of the population uh, being eligible. Other states that are kind of toying with this masking um, voucher idea, which, again, I, I think it's better just to make it based on whatever your reason is for not liking the school that you're assigned to. But one one benefit is that this ties the, the masking eligibility criteria, keeps school choice in the national spotlight and keeps it into, in the national conversation, which is important. And then it also mobilizes Republicans who might have been on the fence before to support the policy when they might not have supported the policy before. Uh, so now in red states, it might be even more likely that Uh, expansions of educational freedom would happen. I've heard other ideas of tying the voucher to the critical race theory idea. I don't care if your school teaches critical race theory. If you want to go to a school that teaches critical race theory, I think that should be fine, especially when uh, a lot of us disagree on what that actually means. And I actually do believe there's systemic racism built into the government school system through residential assignment that has uh, been perpetuated since redlining in the 1930s. Uh, That's i just don't I just don't think that the government schools will actually teach that about their own system, right uh, so the implementation gets kind of tricky as well, and what happens actually on the ground and I think a lot of parents that are upset about this critical race theory idea in the schools they're not really concerned about teaching history or teaching that systemic racism exists. I think a lot of parents are upset about actual practices that they're seeing in the news with. Students or, or teachers being segregated by the color of their skin, which I, I find that to be problematic. But look, all of these things are a symptom of the one size fits all system system. And if, if Republicans tie these kind of things to the bills, not something that I think should be necessary, but there could be this 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 side benefit of mobilizing fence sitting Republicans to support these bills. And then at least we'll get some expansions in the red states.
0: Sure. Absolutely. And we just, uh, we just got a super chat from Rich Clark. Thanks man. $5 super chat. And, and, and this makes sense. I was actually going to talk I mean, I don't think there's been a a better year for red pilling Republicans on school (laughs) choice. I really don't. Um, not in my life, certainly not in my life, but, uh, uh, Rich said, Corey's doing his job a little too well. We need things to keep getting worse so we can convince more Republicans to burn it all down. (laughs) I, I don't disagree. I think, you know, there's been so many great, uh, you know what I mean? There's been so many great red pilling moments over the last year, uh, we got Republicans now talking about holistic health and organic food and vitamins. Okay, we got we got uh, we got Republicans talking about school choice. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, what else? You, you know, we got we got a more rel- red pilled on the police now after you know the <laughs> January sixth crap, and so it's uh, you know it has been a really good year for that. But it, it's funny that he says that because it's it's true. I mean, it takes it takes uh, you know terrible acts in this country for people to wake up to things. And I think a lot of people have woken up to, especially the school choice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I'm not going to slow down because the teachers unions are doing that for me when it comes to things getting so out out of hand. There's nothing I can do to stop the teachers unions from making my case for me. I think I'm going to actually give a formal award to Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, for just stepping in it over and over again and showing her true colors. She is the school choice advocate of the year, and that's saying something. I think she beat me out on that on that award this past year. And but she did it unintentionally. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, the teachers unions—they just can't s- seem to help themselves, and in a way, they're destroying their own empire by again overplaying their hand and just showing everybody their true colors and that they don't really care all that much about the kids.
0: Sure yeah absolutely and and, you know it's something that a lot of us especially in the in the liberty movement uh we knew I mean we knew that the schools just didn't give a shit in fact John uh John Howe who's a great lawyer in New York uh awesome dude he dropped a two dollar super chat and said thoughts on the school to CPS pipeline (laughs) exactly exactly it we know we know that you know (laughs) It's all anything that's state run is usually shit. When you're a liber, when you're a libertarian, especially, you understand this. But it is great to see so many people waking up. Uh, compilation, thanks for the five dollar super chat. My mother uh, sent a five dollar super chat. Thank you, mom. She says, "Mama loves and misses you, and has no cell service, but has good internet here on Green Springs Mountain." Ma, Ma I sent you a, a text earlier, that's now I know why you didn't get it. But I did tell you I loved you. Um, so so what do you think what do you think's the fix to all this? I mean, okay, so so you know the the. We got a lot of states moving into school choice. That's great. I love it. But I mean, what what is it going to take to just get just get the whole country over over the hump?
1: Well, it's going to be a real challenge in the in the blue states. I mean, that's just the reality. Even though it's a bipartisan or nonpartisan issue, where independents, Republicans, and Democrats on the ground support funding students directly as opposed to systems. When it comes to the state houses and you look how the votes turn out, there are some Democrats that vote that vote for school choice, but overwhelmingly the Republicans are much more likely to vote for school choice. And a large part of that is because the teachers unions, the entrenched special interest that benefits from the status quo, overwhelmingly donates to Democratic uh, candidates in the state houses. If you look, for example, American Federation of Teachers, you can look this up on Open Secrets in the most recent election cycle of 2020, 99.3% of their donations or contributions went to Democratic candidates. Uh, Less than 1%, I think it was less than a half a percent, went to Republican candidates from the American Federation of Teachers. So there's a huge power problem here. It's not an argument problem. The argument is clearly a Democrat, Republican, nonpartisan issue libertarian issue as well, that Democrats support funding students directly when it comes to Pell Grants for higher education. They support it when it comes to pre-K, like the, the Head Start program. The, the money goes to the parents and they can choose. But then it's, for some reason, it's different when it comes to K-12 education. For some reason, it's different uh, for K-12 education, but it's okay when it comes to food stamps where we don't tell low-income families that they must spend that money at a residentially assigned government-run grocery store. The only difference there, as I mentioned earlier, is one of power dynamics. Choice is the norm in just about any other industry, higher education and pre-K, but choice is a threat to the teachers unions when it, only when it comes to K-12. So they fight really hard against that uh, because they want to keep your children's education dollars regardless of how well they do. And Regardless of whether they even go to work, as we've seen over the past year, so they have they have a good setup right now. They have a monopoly, and they're fighting like hell to keep it. But I think the logic is just on on a logic level, we're, we're, we have them destroyed. I mean, their main argument is, "Oh, but this is going to steal money from the from the public schools." To which I respond, "The money doesn't belong to the government schools." Education funding is meant for educating children, not for propping up and protecting a particular institution. We should fund students as opposed to systems or buildings. And they can't really argue with that. I mean, once you really get down to it and center the conversation on the student, they come from this perspective of this money belongs to our our institutions. Our side comes from the perspective of if you're a true libertarian, it belongs to the taxpayer – uh, the people you took it from in the first place. But if not, the, the intended beneficiary of that funding is the student. It should go to wherever they're getting an education. So it's really hard for them to argue with that. And then two, I mean, why would giving families a choice take money away from the public schools that the public schools are doing a good job? Their main argument against the, the policy is an argument for the policy. They're essentially admitting that they understand families aren't happy with their product. They're admitting that they understand that they're not doing a good job and they have to use the force of government to to, to compel kids into their institutions despite failing them year after year. And it, and it doesn't force everybody to stay in their institutions. It's disproportionately the least advantaged. The most advantaged already have school choice in a sense in that they can afford to pay to live in a neighborhood that's happens to be residentially assigned to the best government run schools, they can already afford to at least be more likely to afford to pay out of pocket for private school tuition and fees or home-based education that's done in an adequate ma- manner. So funding students directly actually leads to more equity, too, which the Democrats should be on board with because it allows more families to have access to educational op- op- opportunities and alternatives. So, I mean, th- there's no legitimate argument against this, and it all comes down to politics and power, that that there's a monopoly that lobbies real hard to keep it that way. And we say that in other industries, too. It's just really clear when it comes to K-12 education.
0: Sure, absolutely. Rich, thanks for another uh, $10 Super Chat. He says he's used Corey's write-up on inflation-adjusted K-12 through education <laughs> per student to red-pill so many people, including his public school teacher wife. Thanks, Corey. Write-up is on Reason Foundation site.
1: Well, it's funny when I point out that uh, we've increased inflation adjusted per pupil education expenditures by 280 percent in that report. Now it's 287 percent, according to the latest numbers. The other side will even if I say inflation adjusted on Twitter, you always get that one person who says, oh, but did you adjust for inflation? It's like their knee jerk reaction to that astronomical number is that there's no way that's real. There's no way that's true. Right. It can't be inflation adjusted which is another argument for not throwing more money at the problem. Like the people that are arguing that the schools are underfunded, they essentially tell on themselves by not knowing these data when they say, oh, there's no way that's inflation adjusted, but it actually is. And uh, they just don't know that, that we've just thrown more and more money at the problem. And the and the, the problem is too, that the teachers in these unions believe that the, the the reason that they're not getting paid as much as they'd like is their competition. The charter schools and the private school voucher programs are taking the money away from the public schools, and that's leading to teachers having to dig in their pockets to pay for supplies each year. But the real problem is that their employer, the monopoly, doesn't have any particularly strong incentives to spend that money wisely in the classroom. So when we see more and more money, being thrown into the system. For example, a report by Ben Scaffidi at Kennesaw State University found that nationwide between 1992 and 2014 in the United States, inflation-adjusted per pupil education expenditures increased by about 27%, but real teacher salaries adjusted for inflation actually dropped over the same period by 2%. So we've put more resources into the system. We extract and extort more resources from the taxpayer but it just goes towards putting more people into the buildings. It sure. goes towards more administrative bloat, which is great for the teachers' union bosses because that gives them more dues-paying members. But for the people already in the system, that doesn't benefit them very much. So competition is great for the customers when it comes to the market for goods and services. But competition in the labor market is good for employees too. And we, we've seen that with um, – if you want to look at one of my – recent It's not so recent anymore, but it's at the Washington Examiner. I, I um, wrote an article called School Choice Benefits Teachers Too," which we shouldn't even be having these conversations. It, it shouldn't be about what's best for the adults in the system. The point of the education system is supposed to be about providing a great education for the kids. That should be our first and foremost focus. But a side benefit is that this competition, according to the five studies that I know of on the topic... Leads to higher teacher salaries in the public schools, too. It's literally a win-win-win situation until you think about the teachers union bosses that want to keep control of other people's kids.
0: Sure. Absolutely, we got another five dollars super chat from compilation. This is uh, this is a cool cool question. So uh, you're you're a big Friedman fan, I'm sure, right? I mean, your header on on Twitter and stuff. Uh, I think his
1: I think his son got it, got more things right though.
0: His son is one of the best uh, anarcho-capitalist philosophers of all time, and then his grandson is really amazing too. I'm a big fan of Patrick Friedman. I, I've interviewed Patrick before. I've hung out with David twice. Uh, they're 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 a cool family, man. Definitely interesting. The C. stuff is really cool. Uh, but he says one is Friedman's night. Nineteen fifty-five vouchers better, uh, better than charter, charter schools or just better charter yeah. schools. I don't know if he's asking if.
1: Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's definitely better than charter schools. Charter schools are defined on paper as public schools, but they're really a quasi-private public entity. They're highly regulated by the state. They're authorized by the government, and uh, they're privately operated, but they're complete. They're nearly completely publicly funded. And they're much more regulated than pure private schools. They're they're more regulated than private schools that accept vouchers, too. And so, uh, I mean, you kind of have you have the pure government schools, you have charter schools, and you have private schools and homeschooling, which are the most free forms of education. So I think the voucher program is the best way to do it, because this is and and Friedman talked about the voucher. I talk more about education savings accounts because you, that opens up the opportunity for families to spend it on things other than private school tuition and fees. It could be a virtual school. It could be um, uh, tutoring, textbooks, curriculum, instructional materials, testing materials, any education expenditure, homeschooling, co-ops, hybrid homeschools. It really opens up the market for supply to to, to meet the demand of families when, when when you do the ESA rather than the voucher. But it's a similar idea where the money follows the child that would have went to the government school. This is much better than charters. I mean, you see charters having to fight over and over again uh, against their overseers, the government, trying to close them down. I mean, they, in Buffalo, New York, I think the Board of Regents just last year voted to close one of the highest performing charter schools in Buffalo, New York. Why did they do that? Because the government schools were losing money. Of course, they want to shut down their well-performing competition. So I think charter schools are a step in the right direction. Again, so we should we should support charter schools and we should embrace them when, when they enter the market and allow people to have that choice. But and so, yeah, it's not an either or conversation. But if it were to be an either or conversation, definitely go with the voucher. And the, the gold standard is education savings account.
0: Sure, and then uh, number two, he asked he asked two questions here, and and I I I would like him to clear up in the chat if he could, if he's talking about the uh, Libertarian Party Mises Caucus or the uh, Mises Institute, because those are two separate entities. But he said, is LPMC's neglect? Do they neglect vouchers because Rothbard called vouchers uh, Friedman's pernicious influence? I don't. Well, I don't think I don't think that the the MC does. I want so I want to clear up that I don't think the MC just neglects. Uh, School vouchers. I think there's a big mix in the Mises Caucus of different types of people. The Institute also has a lot of different scholars as well who have different thoughts on things. But I'm sure you know they're usually going to side with Rothbard on things, obviously Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. But (laughs) what do you think? Yeah, but at the the same time, I'm just thinking
1: um, I can't give you a specific example, but but I've if I recall correctly, some of the verified Mises Caucus libertarian. Uh, Twitter accounts have been retweeting me favorably when I talk about school choice initiatives. So that doesn't, it's not an endorsement of what I'm pushing for, but it's suggestive. And then also they invited me while I was at uh, freedom fest in South, by the way, were you at freedom fest in South Dakota? I
0: I had to miss it too bad, too bad. But, but,
1: but one of the people at Mises caucus invited me to do a podcast with them. Uh, I think we're recording Later this month. So, is it Clint? I mean, I, I don't know, but I've is is Tho Bishop um kind of involved with Tho, the Mises? Tho, so I Tho is know.
0: actually uh, he's actually an editor at the Mises Institute, oh, okay. uh, but he works with the Republican Party down in Florida, um, and he's a big DeSantis fan and all that stuff too. But he's doing some really cool stuff in the in the Republican Party. They're trying to basically take over. State boards and and county local county uh, boards too in the Republican Party as. Uh, as obviously liberty based Republicans like uh, like Massey Or anything like that so he's mm-hmm. a little different Than the Libertarians obviously mm-hmm. the, the Mises Caucus is trying to take over the Libertarian Party they support local uh, Only local Libertarian Candidates where you can make a difference and stuff like that uh,
1: so, I, I think I saw them tweet About like a local voucher program Or something yeah, not a state that level That would make a lot so, of sense
0: yeah absolutely
1: th- Yeah I, and I think that the, the, the thing is Most of these private school choice Initiatives are done at the state level because because a big chunk of the funding for um, for K to 12 education comes from state legislatures, it's it's easier to get these things passed at the state level. We've seen historically, it's much more likely to happen that way. You can have it uh, extend to a lot of different people, and and what's good too is I, I kind of seen some of this with the Desantis order recently, saying that no public schools can force kids to wear masks. Some people on the, in Some libertarians were saying, oh, that's that's uh, overcoming local control, that's government overreach. But then other libertarians, and I think I'm kind of on the other side of this, saying have been saying, well, if if a government entity is telling a local government entity that they can't abuse your rights, that's a step in the right direction. I mean, like with the first amendment of the US Constitution, will we say that's like government overreach of the states? I don't think most people would say that. I think that's I think most people in the libertarian kind of circles are okay with that too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's the same kind of concept. If, if it's an improvement of negative rights, even if it's done by a state entity, like with the voucher program that could be passed at the state level, no family is forced to accept the voucher. No private school at any locality is a for- is forced to accept any kids with vouchers. It's all choice at every single uh, uh level of the way and i think so even if we do it at the state level it's it's again an improvement of, li- of liberty not not an infringement and especially i mean just think and, and in education uh a little secret is that local control just means teachers union control right they have really strong control over uh individual school districts uh so it, it, it's it's much more difficult to do it that way but Hey, if if the Mises Caucus wants to try it at the local level and get it done in certain areas, I think that's that that's something that that they should they should feel um, proud fighting for. I think that any any of these things would be
0: wins. Yeah, absolutely, I I agree wholeheartedly. I think you know when I think about why liberty is slowly dying in the U.S., I, I you know aside from the wars in the Federal Reserve, which are two huge issues for me. Uh, I always come back to education man it's it's like the one place where they can indoctrinate your kids for several hours a day while you're at work and you have no idea what's going on most you know most parents are checked out when their kids are at school doing that and they're at work uh they're teaching your kids things that you know that your kids will carry for the rest of their lives and a lot of the times it's politicized uh, you know, they they are partisan in the classroom. We've seen it here in Des Moines, even on TikTok, some of the teachers here uh, saying, you know, that they were they were they were going to teach CRT anyways, even though it's a, it's, a, you know, they're outlawed in the schools here mm-hmm. and they're doing this and that. I mean, yeah. these are your teachers. These are the people that you're leaving your kids with every single day. So abolish public schools first. I mean, that's you know, that's why <laughs> obviously that's where I want to go. Uh, but but what you know, we're getting to the end of this thing, man. Um, what do you got coming up next, Corey? What, what are you, what are you doing?
1: I've got a lot of travel, man. I've been traveling a lot. I've barely been home. Let me look at my calendar. I have state policy network coming up later this month, but yeah, it's been a lot of, um, a, a lot of speaking events, things like this podcast. I've been getting more media hits on TV. Um, so that's take, that's really sucked up a lot of my time. So just really focusing on what's going on with the school choice debate, especially when we, we're still having school districts saying they don't want to reopen. We still have school districts saying that they want to force kids to wear masks, even if the governor had an executive order saying they couldn't do that. So this is a lot of stuff that's just happening in real time that I've been, uh, it's been sucked up a lot. It's just sucking up a lot of my time. But when I do, when I do get some more, uh, 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 more availability to work on some research projects, I've been trying to work with the CDC, to get data on teen suicide attempts, because just like a month ago, I wanna say, they reported an uptick over the past year of teen suicide attempts, particularly for female students, like large upticks of emergency department vid- uh, uh, visits for teen suicide attempts, and no one, and a lot of people are were kind of thinking, well, maybe it's the remote learning because there have been associations and correlations with remote learning and uh, mental health issues. And so it'd be interesting to do a study with that data. It's just not available at the at at a, sure. a at a granular level yet. So I've been trying to work on that. Um and uh yeah, and it, that's uh that's pretty much been what's on my plate.
0: Nice, nice, man. Well, I you know, I- I can't speak for everybody, but I definitely appreciate the work you're doing, man. Uh, we we ran a little longer, so we'll forget the members only stream tonight. I know uh, Corey's got something he's got to do. Hard nine thirty, uh, hard stop for for this gentleman. Where can these people find you? How can they support your work? Uh, where where can they listen to you speak?
1: Yeah, first and fir- foremost, uh, follow me on Twitter if you're not already. It's at D'Angelo's Corey D E A. You can see it down there. It's my handle to the bottom left of your screen. Uh, and then also, if you want to join the fight towards expanding educational freedom, I mean, you can see like whenever a bill drops, I tweet about the bill and then I'll link the bill so that you can see how to push for it. But if you want another way to find that information, pretty easy website. It's called FundStudentsNotSystems.org. That's my tagline, so it should be easy
0: to remember. FundStudentsNotSystems.org. Sure. Well, Corey, I really appreciate you coming on and taking some time to sit down and speak with us. It's, it's great. You know, we, we, you could talk about school choice with people a lot, but it's, it's very rare that you get to sit down and talk with somebody who specializes in this stuff. So I appreciate you. I appreciate the work you're doing and I look forward to seeing what you can do in the future, brother. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right, guys, another awesome episode of break the cycle. Corey's awesome, man. I had no idea he was a, a an anarcho capitalist. That's pretty cool to hear. Actually, uh, compilation. I want to address your, uh, your super chat there, your $5 super chat. Thank you very much for that. First of all, um, you said in a hundred hundreds of hours of Dave speaking, he's you've never heard the word vouchers, far less emphasis uh, than other agenda items. Yeah, so Dave, obviously Dave's really big on the warfare state, uh, really big on the Federal Reserve, the war on drugs, all that great stuff. Um, I have, don't know that I've heard him talk about vouchers either. I'm not a big... Uh, I'm not a big voucher guy. I mean, you know, I would obviously, and I think most people in the uh, caucus um, and maybe some at the Institute would, we'll take whatever we can get, but it's definitely not, um, you know, it's not what they're going to fight for right away. There's some really cool stuff going on. Down in Florida that Corey just talked about I don't know how many people in the Mises caucus Have heard about what's going on in Florida as far as education goes But I think uh, more people need to follow Corey uh, He's proving that there are some based members Of the Cato Institute and uh, Reason So that's pretty cool um, Compilation, thank you for another $5 Super Chat Are you, Corey, familiar with the argument or not? Sorry, he's taken off uh, I am obviously very familiar with the collapsitarian argument uh, I try to stay a little white-pilled as of today uh, until they fully black pill me. And then we'll talk about that later, but um, thank you guys so much for all your support. Definitely go check out our sponsors, TopLobsta.com. the man, the myth, the legend, my good friend and partner on Break the Cycle, where you can get this great custom embroidered logo, uh, BTC logo, or this great pillow on the couch. That's embroidered uh, Not embroidered But it's got the custom BTC logo on it as well Um, And all kinds of Other great graphic stuff All kinds of really cool Shirts and hats And backpacks And mugs And um, all that great stuff Use BTC at checkout For a 10% discount Or join the Patreon Subscribe star Or become a member Of the YouTube channel Under any of my videos To get into a private Discord server That has wonderful people In it uh, That you get to hang out With 24-7 And you also get New top lobster designs Up to two weeks early At a 30% discount It really pays for itself If you're a smaller Monthly donor. And of course, executive producers of the show, anthemplanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check them out today, see what they can do for your business, home, or personal life. They're doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at uh, much cheaper and much more efficiently. Guys, tomorrow on the show, last show of the week, uh, we have my friend Chase. Guys are coming on from One American Podcast. Dude is incredibly based. If you didn't watch him on Reed uh, Coverdale's show, he showed up dressed. As Reed covered, it was pretty hilarious. The guy's awesome. He's funny. He's doing a lot of great things. Um, Guys, seriously – if you want to support the show and and get all the cool swag, go check out the Patreon and all that stuff. If you're listening to the show, because I see that we have now like a minimum of 800 regular daily listeners or something like that on the podcast uh, audio, come check out the, the show. You don't have to make it to the live shows. It's always, the, the shows stay here, they stream here, and they always uh, sync to Odyssey as well. You can find me at Break the Cycle Joshua Smith at Odyssey. But come over and just hit that subscribe button because it helps the algorithm over here. And uh, this is the stream that really takes care of the show show at this point so if you guys can come over here and do that if you're just watching the show and you want to listen to the show at other times you can also do that and find us on any of the podcast apps out there pretty much i think there's like one or two that people have had problems finding us on but uh for the most part we're on everything google apple uh spotify all that great stuff uh pod or whatever the hell that is um guys i will see you tomorrow for the show with chase geyser i'm looking forward to it, forward to it but until then don't forget to break the cycle
1: Have to explain The lyrics of my last song may seem to contain A violent call to action in the verse in refrain But I just landed in Minecraft The helicopter part was not reference to GTA 5 and the things you do So when he violence you commit I am not an excuse Because I just landed in Minecraft a trooper is my friend and he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just banned it in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we'll make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft you nothing, I mean, you know it I'm trying to discuss it closer to COVID Holy oh, shit, I think I'm a poet In my class, in my